Right. So today we're in uh, day day two of, of Genesis, and last week we covered uh, day one. And day two, like all the other days, is uh, of course dependent on uh, day day one. Uh, in day one, we had the creation of the the heavens and the earth, and uh, and then Moses told us uh, about the initial state of the earth. And that uh, laid the, uh, the the groundwork for uh, all of the the rest of creation, uh, where we now build on that, and we're uh, working our way to the the completion of creation. And then last week, uh, also in day one, we we saw the creation of light, and uh, the light is necessary for the cycles of day and night, and uh, evening and morning, of uh, for all of the other days to progress, and in uh, the, the Hebrew conception of time, uh, actually night began a day. Uh, and then, you, so you had evening and then morning, first day. And then when you have evening again, now you, you start a, a new day uh, with the, the evening time. And then... Just pardon my phone. Normally it's the audience that has the phones on. Shame on you, audience. <laughs> who, who turned on my phone? <laughs> uh, and so, anyway, with the, the light, it, it's also necessary for, for warmth and for, for light. Uh, and so, uh, for the eventually the environments and the vegetation and uh, all of the, the animals... Uh, in the the stars, uh, and so day two is dependent on those things. And now with day two, we'll see that uh, God will create an expanse in the midst of the the waters, and He will uh, separate the waters of the deep uh, into two, and separate the waters uh, from the waters. And then this is another step in uh, making the the dark, barren, empty. Uh, creation and earth uh, into an inhabitable uh, creation that's filled with all sorts of life uh, that's teeming all through all of creation. And then from here on day three, we'll see with the, the waters below that God is going to make the, the seas and the, the dry earth. Uh, and so it'll, it'll keep advancing and progressing. And then with the, the result of day two, uh, we'll see that the, the dark uh, barren, empty, uh, watery earth. Uh, it's now light with day one. Uh, and then with day two, uh, there's now uh, an expanse creating the, uh, the, the heavens or sky and the water below. And then we'll, we'll also see some uh, components with day two that are similar uh, to day one. Uh, and so uh, with day one, we had a, a command uh, to create light. Uh, and then we had a report that there was light. God's command was fulfilled. Uh, followed by an evaluation that God saw that the light was good. Uh, and then an action of God separating the light from darkness and his, his naming light day and darkness night. Uh, but with day two, uh, the, the order is a little bit different. Uh, we have God's command to create an expanse and to separate the waters. Uh, then we have an action of God 
uh, creating the expanse and actually separating the waters. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the report. Uh, instead of after the command, it's after the action. And then uh, we'll have the naming of the, the expanse uh, heavens. And so just notice that with uh, the report, uh, the report follows the action, although typically on the other days, uh, it follows the uh, follows the the speech of of command at the beginning of the day, uh, and then the the naming also follows the the report. But usually it follows the the action, and so and then finally we'll see that there's no evaluation on on day two, uh, where where God doesn't say uh, it was good, uh, and so if you you remember uh, Moses likes to. Uh, repeat things. He uses a lot of repetition, but he also likes to change things. He likes to subtly uh, add things and uh, omit things in the days and uh, change the, the wording uh, a little bit. Uh, and then he'll, he'll also sometimes rearrange things. And this is what we see with the, uh, the evaluation. Uh, so before, before looking at his uh, command uh, and his action and report, uh, first, let's just take a, a little look at why uh, there's no no evaluation. And some people would actually think that since it doesn't say uh, God saw that it was good, that maybe maybe because the se- after the separation of the waters, maybe it's incomplete because he hasn't formed the waters into seas yet. Uh, so. Maybe he's not ready to see it as good and evaluate it as good. But uh, if we remember, like I just mentioned, that Moses likes to change uh, and avoid parallelism intentionally, uh, in, intentionally break it. Uh, and so on day five, we see that there's an evaluation, but there there's, there's not a report. Uh, it doesn't say uh, it was so. Uh, and so does that mean that on day five, uh, God's command uh, in God's actions didn't come to pass? Uh, in fact, let's, let's read it quickly. Uh, in verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening and there is morning, the fifth day. So did these things not come to pass? Because there's not a report. It doesn't say it was so. So how could it be so? Well, it is so. Uh, it, it obviously is so. He still did these things. So maybe we should be careful about saying day two isn't, isn't good. Uh, in, in addition, we see that ultimately everything that God made was good. Uh, there are eventually seven evaluations uh, saying that uh, it was good uh, and showing the, the completeness and perfection of God's creation. Uh, there are also seven reports um, saying it, it was so. Uh, and so showing that all of God's words and all of his actions came to pass. Uh, and then in Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he made, 
And behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, the sixth day. Uh, and so there, there's even a little more we, we could talk about there, but I think it's pretty clear. Maybe we shouldn't read too much into uh, the evaluation being missing from day two, but this is just the, the pattern of, of how he likes to write. Uh, and so uh, now we'll look at God's uh, command, uh, action, uh, and report, uh, and then we'll, we'll look at his uh, naming of the expanse, heavens. But first, let's read through Genesis, through the first five days. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there is evening and there is morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there is evening and there is morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly over the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening, and there is morning, the fifth day.
And so now we'll, we'll look at God's uh, command uh, to create an expanse uh, and for it to separate the waters. Uh, and then his action uh, and the, the report that it was so. And so beginning with the command, uh, it says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And so here we see that where the, the earth was uh, covered in the great uh, deep, uh, that God, by his word, uh, creates an expanse right in the, the midst of the deep, uh, of, the, of the waters that were covering the face of the earth and separates them. So now uh, there are uh, th- there are waters above the the very heavens. If you picture the sky and look look all around, uh, we see the the very same uh, expanse that uh, that they saw. And then there were still uh, waters uh, below, and this prepares the way for the the dry land uh, and the seas and the the vegetation. Uh, And so we we see again that God uh, commands by his very word, uh, just like on all the other days, day two starts with the word of God and uh, all of the actions and everything else flows from uh, God's uh, authoritative uh, word calling his creation into existence. And now there, there's a question uh, that, that we have to ask. Uh, who uh, or what uh, performed the action of uh, separating the waters? Uh, because in Hebrew, it's actually a little ambiguous. And so some would point to Genesis 1, verse 6. Uh, and listen to this. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Uh, God said, let it separate uh, the waters from the waters. And so did the expanse do it? Or did God perform, perform this uh, action? But first, the, the first problem, uh, some, some would say that the, the expanse did it. But the, the first problem with this is just uh, read along in, in verse 4. Uh, or no, verse 7. And God made the expanse and separate, and let's say, uh, and God made the expanse and it, the expanse, separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. But why does it repeat expanse so many times? It, it doesn't really need to if the expanse is performing the the, the action that that's kind of odd, isn't it? Um, it's it's a bit uh, a bit redundant. It doesn't need to use the full noun phrase expanse each time. It could use some some pronouns. Uh, but and then uh, we we also see that uh, when when God commands uh, for His creation to to either be to come into existence or to do something on the other days that oftentimes God performs the action afterwards. So 
uh, for instance, aside from day two, uh, this is true of the lights on, on day four. Uh, it's true of the land animals on day six, uh, where God uh, c- commands these things, and yet he does it. Uh, but then it's, it's especially true of the fish and the birds on day five, uh, verses 20 and 21. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly on the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so even though God tells them to do it, he then performs, performs the, the action. Uh, and so what's going on here is that by God commanding the expanse to separate the waters, that's its function or purpose that he assigns for it. And it, it fulfills its function and purpose uh, immediately when, uh, when God creates. Uh, but he's the one that, uh, that does it. Uh, and then just in addition, God is what, uh, what some linguists would call the, the VIP. He's the very important uh, participant. He's uh, the, the very center of, of attention for all of Genesis 1. Uh, in fact, his name appears 35 times. I told you there'd be more sevens. Well, 35 is a, a multiple of seven, five times seven. God appears the, the most times, 35 times. Uh, he opens and closes the whole whole narrative. Uh, he also uh, performs all the other, other actions uh, unless clearly specified uh, otherwise. Uh, and so... Uh, we'd see him as the center of attention, the, the agent, the subject who's performing the actions, uh, unless for some reason it just didn't make any uh, sense in the, the context. So God's the one who performs the, the action of, of creation. Uh, and so uh, we see that God, by, by his sovereign uh, word, uh, calls forth the expanse and then executes what, uh, what he declares All right, so we, we've seen that God's the one who, who does the, the act of separation. Now we're going to look at the word for expanse, uh, rakia in Hebrew. And this has been a word that's actually been uh, uh, disputed uh, before. Uh, there, there are some uh, scholars that have different views on this word. And so uh, we're, we're going to take a, a close look at this. Um, and so first off the first thing we have to recognize uh, when we're uh, looking at this uh, word rakia uh, is that Moses often uses what's called phenomenological language it's uh, just explaining and observing the world uh, as it appears and just describing it as it appears And so Kenneth Matthews, uh, in his commentary, says, The six days of creation, verses 3 through 31, 
are told from the perspective of one who is standing on the earth's surface, observing the universe with the, the naked eye. Uh, and so if, if you were there, although maybe in the, the early days, you, God would almost have to give you kind of a hazmat suit or something to protect you because the environments aren't ready for humans yet. Um, if you were there and watching, you'd see the, the cycle of days actually passing. And as, as God created, uh, we would uh, see things uh, happen uh, just as we observe them uh, in the, the world today. And so with the word rakia, I'll just give you a couple, couple definitions, and then we'll, we'll look more carefully how it's, how it's used. Uh, the first, from the Dictionary of Biblical Languages Hebrew, uh, is, he defines rakia as an area of atmospheric space, either relatively close to the ground or in the upper limit of the sky and heavens. Uh, and then the, the Bible sense lexicon uh, defines it as the expanse on which celestial bodies appear to be projected. Uh, and then they add, here's the disputed part, which may have been believed to be solid. Uh, and that's something we'll, we'll be looking at. And they don't necessarily affirm it. They're just saying possibly uh, and then uh, translations for the, the rakia. Uh, the most common uh, with modern translations is expanse. Uh, and then there's, there's also a, a vault uh, in the, the NIV. Uh, and then an old one, especially with like the, the King James Version and a lot of others that developed from there, uh, even going back to the, the Latin Vulgate, Latin translation, is uh, firmament. And now... Uh, Matthews uh, describes uh, some of the uh, the issues that are going on here uh, and the the rakia the the expanse and so Matthew says the second separation of creation uh, the first separation being the separation of of uh, light and darkness uh, from one another. The second separation of creation is the division in the waters. God formed an expanse to create a boundary, a giving structure to the upper and lower waters. The expanse is the atmosphere that distinguishes the surface waters of the earth, that is, the waters below, from the atmospheric waters or clouds, that is, the waters above. The Hebrew term rakia, expanse, may be used for something that is beaten out or spread out like a covering. Then he gives some verses for that. Uh, the, the stars are depicted as the brightness of the rakia. The atmosphere then is depicted as a canopy or dome spread out uh, over the earth. And so it's actually the, the very sky that we look up and uh, see. If you want to know what the, the rakia is, just look up to the, the sky, the, the same heavens that uh, Moses and the, the Israelites uh, looked at. And so we'll, we'll look at what we're looking at what the rakia uh, is, uh, and then we'll look at 
what it is not, uh, the, the rakia, the, the expanse on day two. Uh, so first, uh, where it's located, notice in uh, verses 6 and 7, uh, it's located in the midst of the waters. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so just like we uh, talked about briefly earlier, that it's located in the, the midst of the waters. This is the, the deep, the, the primordial uh, ocean that was covering the earth in verse 2 uh, that, uh, that God is going to, uh, to work with and to, uh, to bring a separation so that there's actually a, a habitat for uh, the luminaries, the, the sun, moon, and stars, and the, the birds. Uh, and then we see in verses 14 and 17... Uh, what is uh, found in the, the rakia, the, the expanse. So in verse 14, on day 4, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days uh, and for, for years. Then verse 17, And God, we'll start in verse 16, And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light uh, on the earth. Uh, and so we see the, the sun, moon, and stars uh, placed uh, in, in the expanse uh, of the heavens. And here notice, a rakia do, doesn't appear alone. Uh, it's not just expanse but it's the expanse of the heavens. Uh, rakia can either refer to the, the heavens as a whole, or it can refer to the, the rakia of the heavens. And so it's an aspect of the heavens, how the, the heavens are expanded uh, above the earth when you, you look to the, the skies above. Uh, and then we, we also see in verse uh, 20, And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse uh, of the heavens. And it's literally uh, across the face of the expanse of the heavens. And a, a face is just a, a surface or a, a, a plane. Uh, and so the, the birds are flying across the backdrop of the, the rakia, the, the heavens, the, the sky, uh, which helps show at least in verse 20 uh, that the, the lower limits are uh, conceptualized or thought of as being the, the backdrop against across which the, the birds fly. Uh, and then in verse 8, God names the, the rakia, uh, the expanse, uh, heavens, uh, the, the very heavens above. And now, so we, we know a little bit about what rakia uh, means. Uh, now let's start thinking about, uh, about what it's not, uh, or at least what some modern scholars have uh, said it is, uh, but I think they probably go a bit beyond uh, what Scripture really teaches.
so there, there have been some who have taught that the, the Hebrew conception or idea of the, uh, of the, the expanse of the heavens uh, was that it, it was actually sort of a, a bronze, solid metal uh, dome, uh, the, the sky. And uh, supposedly all ancients believe this and uh, the, the, the Hebrews believe this. Uh, in Gordon uh, Wenham, in his commentary, uh, he explains this a little bit. He says, the word is derived etymologically, uh, and so that's just the, the history of how, how the word uh, took on its meaning, from uh, the verb uh, raka, uh, to stamp uh, or spread. In Exodus 39, verse 3, it means to spread by hammering. Job 37 Verse 18 speaks of the skies being spread out hard as a molten mirror. Uh, the noun is rare outside of Genesis 1. Uh, Ezekiel 1, verse 22, and Daniel 12, verse 3 describe the firmament as shiny. Uh, such comments may suggest that the, the firmament was viewed as a glass dome over the earth. But since the most vivid descriptions occur in poetic texts, the language may be figurative. Uh, and then uh, Matthews uh, adds to this, uh, the, the English term is derived from the Latin Vulgate, since the, the Latin Vulgate was an ancient Latin translation of the, uh, the, the Bible and the, the Old Testament too. The English term is derived from the Vulgate's firmamentum. Job 37, verse 18 uh, which describes skies without rain as a bronze expanse, uh, is figurative and does not support the common contention that the expanse was considered a bronze dome by the Hebrews. And so let's look at Job uh, 37, uh, verses 14 through 20. And uh, you're, you're welcome to, to flip there uh, as I introduce the, the passage a little bit. And so here in Job, uh, Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, uh, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, uh, have already spoken. Uh, and now from Job 32 through 37, uh, Elihu, uh, the son of Barakel, the, the Buzite, uh, speaks. And uh, Elihu actually seems to have some pretty good, Good input to give uh, after Job's uh, after Job's friends. However, uh, one thing we have to to recognize. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that uh, Elihu was saying, "Yes, the sky is made of of hard bronze." Uh, Elihu the the Buzite. Well, we also have to recognize that not everything that uh, Job's friends uh, say uh, is actually uh, right on the money. Uh, if, if you've ever read the, the book of Job, uh, in fact, about uh, his three friends, uh, it, it says in uh, Job 42, verse 7, I'll just read it for you. Uh, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Uh, and Job is really right when he repents in, in dust and ashes. Uh, he doesn't affirm that absolutely everything that Job said uh, was right. So uh, 
even let's just say for argument's sake that uh, Elihu the the Buzite, who's as I understand, is not even a Hebrew, uh, by, by the way. Uh, let's just say, yeah, he, he was saying that. Uh, well, uh, everything that Scripture records uh, is truthful, and so it truthfully and faithfully records Elihu's words. Uh, but maybe Elihu, like Job's friends, just he wasn't right on the, the money. However, I, I think that they're uh, probably not being quite fair to uh, Elihu. Uh, and so I think we should take a look at this. And we'll f- focus on verse 18, but I'll start in verse 14. This is what Elihu says. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds and the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind, can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Uh, Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot drop our case because of darkness. Shall it be told to him that I would speak? Uh, Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? Uh, and so here he, he's drawing from the creation and just showing the mighty works of God, showing that, uh, you know, Job, we really don't know a whole lot. Should you be going around saying, you know, I want my day in court with God and I'll question uh, him. Uh, and so also with this, this south wind uh, that comes in, uh, the south wind would come and bring the, the heat uh, over the, the, the land in the uh, the, the summer, and it's in that context, he says, can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast, a metal mirror? Uh, and so we have to recognize that, first off, this is poetic uh, language. Uh, this is poetic and phenomenological language. It's describing uh, how things uh, appear to us, uh, as we observe them, I mean, uh, even the weatherman talks about the sunrise and the uh, the, the sunset. Uh, and here we we have poetry filled with uh, powerful uh, figures of uh, of speech. Uh, and Elihu uses uh, he uses analogies, uh, similes. He's he's making uh, comparisons. Uh, he's not setting out to give uh, Job and his friends uh, uh, a, a lecture. Uh, about uh, the the Hebrew conception of the the sky as uh, made of bronze, uh, solid metal. Uh, This isn't a lecture. That's not uh, his point uh, at all uh, toward uh, Job. Uh, And so here's what the, the IVP Bible background commentary says. And at first they get it just right. Uh, but then we'll we'll see them mention this this idea of of sort of a, a metal uh, a metal sky. They say mirrors in antiquity were made out of bronze and were very hard and difficult to break. Uh, the imagery was appropriate to the sky on those dry, hot summer days when the heat of the sun reflected on the rock and dirt through the still golden haze. Uh, and so 
uh, they, they, they really capture the, the imagery of the, the sky just beating down on uh, him, even along with the south wind bringing in the heat. Then they add, additionally, uh, in the ancient world, it was believed that the sky was a solid dome or disk. So they, they just add that sort of a matter of matter of fact. Uh, everyone believed this. Uh, but hear what Roy B. Zuck says uh, in the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. He says, Elihu then challenged Job to contemplate what he had been saying about God's wonders. Uh, in a series of questions, Elihu pointed uh, up Job's ignorance about God's power in nature. Man does not know how God can possibly guide the clouds, cause lightning, or even hang the clouds in the sky. Man is ignorant, but God is perfect in knowledge. Nor is man capable of doing what God does, such as spreading out a clear blue summer sky, which seems hard like a mirror of bronze, causing people to per perspire in the still hot weather. And so it's, it's just a, a comparison uh, that, that he's giving. Uh, and then uh, just a, another one by uh, Richard D. Patterson in the, the Apologetics uh, Study Bible. He says, Skeptics suggest a primitive cosmology. And cosmology is just a, a view of the, the origin of the, the universe. Uh, skeptics suggest a primitive cosmology is shown here, uh, in which the sky is a dome made of solid bronze, fashioned like ancient mirrors. Uh, the simile, however, uh, simile is just a comparison, saying something is like something. The simile, however, refers to a prolonged draft uh, featuring a prevailing south wind. Under such conditions, the sky seems like cast metal, uh, similar metaphors are used of God's judgment via a draft that renders the sky like bronze and the earth like iron uh, in Deuteronomy 28 verse 23. Still other comparative metaphors of the expanse uh, of sky occur uh, elsewhere. Uh, and when he says draft, I almost wonder if there's a, a typo and he means to say a drought, but either way, a, a, a draft of, of wind coming through or, or a drought. Uh, it's just a comparison of the, the, the sky as it, it seems and appears to be with uh, the heat uh, beating, beating down on them. And then uh, compare Elihu's words uh, to Deuteronomy uh, 28, verse uh, 23. Now I'll start in verse uh, 22. The Lord will, and here uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is talking about the plagues that God will bring upon the Israelites if they break God's uh, covenant and rebel against him. These are the curses that will come upon them. So he says, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew, they shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. Uh, from heaven dust shall come down on you, 
until you are destroyed. Uh, and so here we see this, uh, this, this drought. Uh, and he says, the heavens over your head shall be as bronze. Uh, and the, the, the earth under your feet as iron. Uh, he's not saying the earth is uh, strictly, literally, in the most strict, literal sense you could possibly take. It's just rock-solid iron, and the, the sky's uh, made of bronze. No, this is very similar to what Elihu says. He, he's talking about the, the heat beating on them and the drought, and the uh, basically the, the rain of the land turning to powder. Uh, this is really bad. The, the imagery really drives it. Uh, home, uh, and so uh, this seems to be a common sort of a, a analogy, a metaphor, a picture uh, that they would uh, use, that Elihu uses, that uh, Moses uh, uses, uh, and so we better be careful before we go beyond uh, Elihu's uh, authorial uh, intent uh, and apply things to him that he he didn't even uh, mean uh, to convey. Uh, and it's it's somewhat ironic that modern man uh, is kind of like well you know ancient people and uh, those Hebrews they were they were so dumb that they they thought the sky was made of uh, cast metal bronze and uh, but you know maybe it's modern man maybe we don't know how to understand the difference between a literal and figurative speech. And <laughs> so maybe we should get that and be careful before we apply things to Elihu uh, that maybe he didn't attend. Uh, and even then, it doesn't mean that uh, everyone believed those things. Uh, and so uh, people have to watch out. Uh, sometimes people look at a word like uh, rakia, uh, and they look at other places where it's used, uh, and they'll they'll go to those contexts, uh, look at all the ideas that surround them, uh, and then import all of those ideas and bring them back to Genesis one uh, or wherever. Uh, and that's that's called a word study fallacy. You you can't just go find a word anywhere and go bring the context and all the ideas that surround it and bring them back with you uh, to the to the text. The the author, his audience, didn't know about that. Uh, he didn't tell them to, to do that. Uh, and so just an example, uh, we, we studied the word uh, tohu uh, in our uh, some, some weeks back in verse 2 uh, and saw this idea of barren and emptiness appearing many times. Uh, and we, we looked at some uses that were very uh, important, uh, where we saw that there were environments uh, that were uh, tohu. Not, not just like empty plays in court, but we, we saw like deserts that were tohu and uh, barren. Uh, and then we saw a very important one in, in Isaiah where the, the whole earth, uh, Isaiah was looking back to the beginning of creation and saw that the, the whole earth was tohu. Uh, and so that's a usage that's very similar to, uh, to Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 1. Uh, and so there, there are some similarities between deserts uh, being tohu or barren uh, and some similarities with the, the earth in its initial state being tohu. But still, uh, there are differences. The, the early earth is uniquely tohu. Uh, deserts aren't, uh, they're not covered in the, the, the waters of the deep. Uh, the, the, the deserts aren't uh, covered in absolute pitch black darkness with no light. Uh, deserts, although they, they don't have much light in them, uh, they, 
the, the, the earth uh, in its initial state had absolutely no inhabitants, no life whatsoever. Uh, zip, zero, nada. Uh, and so uh, the, the earth is uniquely tohu, even though there are some similarities. It's, it's uniquely barren. And so uh, the, the lesson from that is just we have to pay close con- uh, attention to, to context. Uh, context has a more powerful impact on the, the meaning of words than a lot of people actually uh, realize. And so to summarize what, what we've looked at with this, this word uh, raka and uh, what, it, what it means and what it doesn't mean, he says, there is no indication, however, that the author conceived of it as a solid mass, a uh, firmament, uh, that supported a body of waters above it. Uh, the expanse describes both the place in which the luminaries were set and the sky where the birds are observed. Thus, Genesis' description of the expanse is phenomenological. Uh, to the observer on the earth, the sun and stars appear to sit in the skies, while at the same time, elsewhere, there is evidence that the Hebrews understood that clouds, be, that clouds produced rain and thus from a phenomenological perspective, water can be described as belonging to the upper atmosphere. Uh, and then he adds in a footnote, uh, as, as B. Ram explains, the Bible's language about astronomy, botany, zoology, and geology is restricted to the vocabulary of popular observation. Uh, what can be seen through microscope or telescope is not commented on. Uh, phenomenal, lot, phenomenal language is true because all it claims is to be descriptive. Uh, and so if, if you were there, uh, you would see all of these things just as God uh, said that, that they were uh, if you looked up into the, uh, the, the heavens and such. But uh, Moses is not trying to talk about what it looks like through a, a telescope or uh, anything like, like that. And so we, we better uh, be, be careful applying things to them that they, they didn't intend. And so now we, we've seen what, what raka means, what raka uh, or rakia uh, doesn't mean. Uh, raka is the, the verb. Uh, now, what, one last question about this uh, is about the, the, the waters above the, the heavens. Uh, where are these, these waters above the, the heavens? And there's some different views about this. Uh, one possibility uh, is that uh, the waters above the heavens are the, 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 the upper limits of the, the sky and the heavens uh, as we see them uh, and look at them. Uh, and so the, the water that, that even forms into clouds and uh, pours forth uh, rain upon our uh, heads, uh, that that's where the, the waters are located. Uh, another view is that uh, they are at the, the farthest extent uh, of the universe uh, that can't even be uh, seen by telescopes, can't even be seen by Hubble and telescopes that we have uh, out, out in space, but the, the very farthest extent of the heavens in the sense of the, the universe and, and outer, outer space. And I heard uh, Paul Taylor uh, from Answers in Genesis on David Wheaton's program 
uh, talking about the, the real story of the flood recently. And he would hold this view that it's the, the very outer reaches of the universe. That's where these waters were. They, they were once part of the deep, uh, but now they're, uh, they're, they're long gone, all the, all the way on the edge of, of everything. And so uh, he, he'd look at like Psalm uh, 148 uh, verses 1 through, through 6, and uh, especially uh, verse 4. And he, he pointed to this as, as evidence for it. Uh, but I also want to caution, as we're looking at the Psalms, we're dealing again with poetic uh, language. There, there, there's a lot of figurative language. And so we have to be careful not to read too much uh, into the language and not go beyond what the, the author intended. Uh, and so here, uh, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Uh, and so here, uh, he, he would uh, argue uh, that when he says, Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens, that the, the highest heavens are actually the, the, the farthest reaches uh, of the universe and outer space, in uh, this is where the those waters above now reside. Uh, the waters below are still still on the earth, and they've been formed into seas. But the the waters above are uh, long gone. They've been basically knocked out of the the ballpark. <laughs> uh, I guess you could say. Um, and I, I have great uh, respect for, for Paul Taylor uh, and uh, really love Answers in Genesis and uh, some of their sister sites. Uh, I think after study, though, I'd, I'd actually take a, a different view uh, that, you know, th this might be a possibility. Uh, but I think he's uh, talking about the, the, the heavens that, that we see above uh, as we see them, uh, the very region of the, the sky where uh, the, the waters form into to clouds and, uh, and from which they uh, spout forth their, uh, their water. Uh, and uh, Robert Bratcher and William Rayburn in a translator's handbook on the, the Psalms, they, they say about this verse, in verse 4b, the waters above the heavens are the waters above uh, the heavenly dome uh, or expanse. Uh, which were regarded as the source of rain. Uh, and they, they also point to uh, Psalm 104, uh, verse, verse 3. And uh, I'd like to take a look at, uh, at this uh, psalm. Uh, psalm 104, and beginning in, in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent, uh, 
He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Uh, he makes his messengers winds and his ministers uh, his ministers a flaming uh, fire. And so here we see he's talking about the heavens, uh, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers uh, on uh, the, the waters. Uh, in these uh, chambers, uh, it's the idea of uh, Anna, a house. Uh, in those days, they, w- they would have an uh, upper, upper story on the roof uh, that they would actually use as a, a top level for their house where uh, they, they would even go out in the, the cool of the, uh, the, the night and it could be uh, more comfortable uh, up there. And so it's these uh, upper, upper rooms uh, usually uh, on the roof area. And so here it's talking about God laying forth uh, the, the beams of, of basically his, his upper room and upper story uh, on the waters. And again, we, we find the waters, the, the waters above uh, associated uh, with the, the heavens. Uh, but if we, we read a little below in Psalm 104, uh, verse 13, I'll start in verse 10. Uh, just listen to this. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Uh, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Well, where's God's lofty abode? Well, in verse 3, it says, He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. And then in verse 13, From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. Uh, and so uh, it seems to me that uh, these waters on which God has, has set his abode, uh, his, his upper room, and it's often said that the, the earth is his uh, foot, footstool, uh, which is figurative. Of course, God isn't uh, isn't actually uh, spatial, <laughs> so uh, he, he doesn't actually need a physical footstool uh, anyway. But uh, from his lofty abode, uh, he uh, waters the, the mountains. And so I would take that the, the same waters on which he's uh, set his chambers, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters, he makes the clouds his chariot, uh, he rides on the wings of the, the wind, that uh, these are, are the waters that, uh, that he forms and uh, rains uh, upon the, the earth. And then listen to what these uh, uh, German scholars uh, from the, uh, especially from the, from the 19th century say, uh, Kielen uh, Delich, or Kielen Delich, 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 I believe, uh, the, the rakia is called heaven in verse 8. That is, the vault of heaven, which stretches out above the earth. The waters under the firmament are the waters upon the globe itself. Uh, those above are not ethereal waters, uh, just uh, he- heavenly waters, uh, beyond the limits of the terrestrial, uh, earthly atmosphere. But the waters which float in the atmosphere, 
and are separated by it from those upon the earth. Uh, The waters which accumulate in clouds, and then bursting these, their bottles pour down as rain upon the earth. For, according to the Old Testament representation, whenever it rains, the doors or windows of heaven are opened. Uh, And he gives several, several verses. Uh, Or they do. Uh, It is in or with the upper waters that God layeth the beams of his chambers, from which he watereth the hills. Uh, He points to to Psalm 104. Uh, And the clouds are his tabernacle. That's the the tent where where God dwells. Uh, Job 36, verse 29. If therefore, according to this conception, looking from an earthly point of view, the mass of water which flows upon the earth in showers of rain is shut up in heaven. Uh, Compare uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 2. It is evident that it must be regarded as above the vault which spans the earth, or according uh, to the words of Psalm 148, verse 4, above uh, the the heavens. Uh, And so uh, that's why I'd take it as the uh, the, 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 the very waters uh, of the, the, the highest heavens and uh, sky that, uh, that we uh, see today. Uh, and I think that uh, the, the idea of uh, going to the, the most extreme reaches of, uh, of outer space and the, the universe as we look through the, the Hubble telescope and uh, such like that, I, I think it goes uh, beyond... Uh, what what the author intended, but I, I certainly have uh, great great respect for for Paul Taylor, and that's uh, another another option to uh, to consider. And so then, uh, in summary, that the we've seen that the the rakia is a spatial structure that separates the the waters uh, of the deep. Uh, above and below, and it's uh, in which the, the luminaries, the, the lights are placed, and uh, across the, the face of which the, the birds fly as their uh, backdrop. And it's uh, called the, the heavens, uh, and it's uh, the same expanse of uh, sky that we, we can go and look out uh, and see today, and you, you can call it uh, Rakia, and uh, from which uh, we see with our naked eye where the, the moisture of the, the clouds and the, the waters form and uh, pour forth and uh, give, give life to the earth. Uh, really, God's uh, common, common grace for, uh, for all people, for uh, believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, and so now we've looked at uh, God's word of command uh, calling forth this, this expanse and the separation. And uh, we've uh, seen uh, his his action that he he executed his command and uh, the the report that uh, it stood fast as as all of God's uh, commands do uh, and now uh, God names uh, names the the Rakia. and in verse eight it says and God called the expanse heaven and there is evening and there is morning the second a day. And so, uh, again, like on, on day one, we see God's uh, naming uh, his creation. He named the, the light day and the, uh, the darkness uh, night. And uh, so he exercises 
his uh, authority and uh, prerogative to uh, name his creation, and uh, which even signifies its uh, its very uh, purpose and, and function as he purposed for it. And uh, Matthews uh, says this about the the naming uh, of the the rakia heavens. The theological significance of God's creation of the skies is the clarification that. God alone rules the powers of the heavens. Divine rule of the skies was particularly important for Sumerian religion, which gave prominent place to the heavens in its pantheon of gods. It was Anu, the sky god, and Enlil, god of the atmosphere, who established and deposed the kings of the Sumerian city-states. So uh, they they, uh, raised the the kings up and they they got got rid of them as, as they saw fit. Baal, in the Ugaritic pantheon, is identified as the rider of the clouds. He was the god of storm and rain. But Israel's faith declares that Yahweh is the source of heaven's powers. Uh, the, The passage therefore asserts that the heavens and their celestial inhabitants are merely instruments to serve God and his earthly creatures, they are not autonomous authorities. So they, they are not uh, independent of God. A God is independent of all. He depends on nothing uh, for his existence, uh, but everything else is created and depends on God for its existence and for its uh, purpose and meaning and a uh, place in the world. And so it is uh, even with uh, the heavens and the, uh, the, the powers and stars above. And then there's just a question. Uh, we only have time to deal with it uh, quickly. But uh, if God uh, made the heavens on day two, how did he make the heavens on day one? On day one, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens uh, and the, the earth. And uh, there's quite a bit we, we could say about this. But I, I think that the most basic thing to understand is that it's being used in a different sense. Uh, in day one, uh, the, the heavens uh, were not the, uh, the, the waters of the deep separated uh, so that there were waters below and waters above uh, forming the, the upper sky uh, and, and upper waters and atmosphere uh, of uh, the, the earth. Uh, with uh, verse one, uh, we, we see uh, that in the beginning God created the, the heavens and, and the earth. And uh, following that, uh, we know that the, the whole cosmos has come into existence because then Moses uh, gives some, uh, supplies us some background information about the, the initial state uh, of the earth in its uh, incomplete state. Uh, and we know that there was some space, we, we don't know, uh, quite how expansive it was was as expansive as the cosmos is now I'm not not sure uh, but uh, we know that there was a darkness above the the waters uh, the the spirit was uh, hovering over the waters uh, and it was even into that space uh, that that God called forth a uh, light uh, and so there there were uh, heavens previously uh, but then with the 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 rakia which is something uh, different. This is a 
uh, in expanse that separates the waters uh, below from the, the, the waters above. Uh, it's the, the very... Uh, the, the the very sky that that we see today, uh, where the the waters uh, and clouds form, and uh, where we see the the stars uh, set, and uh, across which we we see the uh, the birds fly, and so uh, they're being used in somewhat different uh, senses uh, in uh, in day one and uh, compared to day two, and so uh, day two is just a, a another step that the brings the creation even more forward and it's kind of like the uh, the earth uh, we see earth on day one the earth was created on day one uh, but then we see earth on day three as well uh, and the earth on day three was uh, the the dry land and it's named uh, earth uh, but on day one uh, the, the earth was anything but dry it was a dark barren empty uh, and covered in the face of the the deep so uh, earth is being used in uh, two different ways as, as well, just like the, the heavens. Now I have a quote by uh, John Kelvin on, on verse, verse 8, and this, this is what he says. He really captures the, 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 the power uh, and the authority uh, of God uh, over the, the heavens and this uh, sky that, that he's made. We see that the clouds suspended in the air, which threaten to fall upon our heads, yet leave us space to breathe. They who deny that this is affected, brought about by the wonderful providence of God, are vainly inflated with the folly of their own minds. We know Indeed, that the rain is naturally produced, but the deluge, the, the flood, sufficiently shows how speedily we might be overwhelmed by the bursting of the clouds, unless the, the cataracts, the, the, the waterfalls of heaven, were closed by the hand of God. Nor does David rashly recount this among his miracles, that God layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, Psalm 104, verse 3. And he elsewhere calls upon the celestial waters to praise God. Psalm 104, 48, verse 4. Since, therefore, God has created the clouds and assigned them a region above us, it ought not to be forgotten that they are restrained by the power of God, lest, gushing forth with sudden violence, they should swallow us up and especially since no other barrier is opposed to them than the liquid and yielding air, uh, which would easily give way unless this word prevailed. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Uh, and so uh, we see by the, the sovereign commanding word of God uh, that gives purpose and function and structure uh, to creation and to the very sky uh, above us, uh, that we count and depend uh, on uh, God's word. Now I just want to look briefly at Hebrews 1.
And here we, we see that uh, ultimately it's the, the very Son of God who upholds uh, the, the creation uh, and the, the heavens and everything else uh, by the very word of his power. Uh, he is uh, the, the creator and the, the sovereign almighty. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, And so uh, here uh, we see uh, that uh, he uh, is a very uh, God of gods. Uh, He existed uh, for all eternity uh, with the Father, uh, with the Spirit, in uh, perfect harmony. Uh, And they together are uh, the one true God. All of them existing uh, co-equally and co-eternally for uh, all time in perfect harmony. And it was through the Son that that the Father uh, created uh, the world. Uh, Jesus Christ is the the very uh, creator of everything. And not only did he create everything, uh, but he upholds everything by the word of his power, uh, as we see the, uh, the, the, the very word that calls forth everything into existence. Uh, the, the same word, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, continues to uphold everything uh, even uh, right now. Uh, and we are all uh, dependent on him uh, and owe him our life uh, and breath uh, and everything. Uh, and we also see uh, that uh, the author of Hebrews says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, and so uh, he, although he existed eternally uh, as God, uh, he uh, gave up his prerogatives uh, to uh, live in the, the comfort uh, and blissful joy and harmony uh, with the, the Father and the Spirit. And he took on a uh, human nature and entered into our own uh, creation uh, for this very purpose, to make a purification uh, for, for sins uh, for uh, his people. Uh, everyone who draws near to him uh, through faith. Uh, he is the, the perfect high priest. Uh, and so uh, in his uh, crucifixion, uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension up into heaven, 
Uh, he is a high priest uh, who always lives to make intercession uh, for those who trust in him. And the, the offering that he gave was his own life uh, so that uh, all sinners, uh, and everyone is a sinner, uh, everyone uh, has violated uh, God's uh, law, uh, the, the law written on our hearts, our, our very consciences, uh, they will have uh, Jesus Christ, uh, their creator, uh, either as their judge uh, or as their mediator, their, uh, their high priest. Uh, and so for uh, anyone who uh, will repent and turn away from their sins uh, and trust in, in this high priest, uh, the only mediator between God and man, uh, then he will uh, cleanse and, and wash away their sins uh, by his own blood, uh, by his own uh, sacrifice, uh, so that uh, they can be forgiven uh, and reconciled uh, to the Creator. Uh, and then uh, one day uh, he will uh, return uh, for them and bring them uh, to himself, uh, where they too, uh, although he was exalted uh, to, to the heavens uh, into the very, the very right hand of God, the, the right hand of the majesty on high uh, because of uh, how, how great uh, this one is, uh, he will also uh, exalt those who humble themselves and trust him uh, and he will uh, raise them up with him uh, where they will uh, always... Uh, always live with him uh, and reign with him and uh, his inheritance uh, he will also give to them uh, as uh, their uh, very in inheritance and so uh, that's really the, uh, the the hope that that we look for and it's uh, really incredible to see these themes from from Genesis just drawn all the way uh, through all of scripture all the way to the uh, the, the very end uh, and so uh, then we can uh, pray and uh, wrap things up for the, the evening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words in the, the book of Genesis that uh, you recorded through your prophet Moses. Uh, and I Thank you that this can give us confidence that you are the uh, the one true God and that you truly rule over all things, uh, even the the heavens above. And uh, people often uh, fear and uh, look at all the celestial phenomena and the things that that go on in the the heavens above, and uh, fear that comments might come and. Uh, wipe wipe everything out, but uh, we know that you are in control of all things, and uh, so is your your Son, uh, through whom you created all things, and uh, it's by His Word and His power that He upholds things, all things right together right now, and so uh, we can trust Him uh, not just uh, for salvation, and uh, that we can be uh, reconciled to you. Uh, through his, uh, his one perfect uh, sacrifice, uh, but we can also 
uh, trust him uh, with with all of creation, uh, even even if things sometimes uh, seem to be out of control. We know that he is in control and that uh, he will one day uh, return and uh, establish his kingdom and ultimately the the new heavens and the new earth where where we will uh, dwell with you and uh, with him uh, the the lamb sacrificed even from the the foundation of the the earth uh, forever and ever and so we pray for these things and pray that your kingdom would come and uh, lord jesus we pray that you would come quickly and uh, that you would Grant us uh, perseverance and that uh, we would grow in your word and by your spirit and that we would love and serve and honor you and love one another. And we thank you uh, for, for all these things and these words. Amen.